So the reading is from uh, Psalm 63. If you'd like a Bible, please raise your hand up. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory, will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Great, so for those of you who don't know, you know me, my name is Dan. Um, I'm part of the team here at Christchurch. And for those who do know me, but maybe not so well, you might not know that my parents are originally from a place called Cape Town in South Africa. So we're just going to get a photo up on the screen, if it works. There we are. Um, Cape Town, I'm a little bit biased. Cape Town is one of the most beautiful cities in the whole world. If you've never been, you really should go, if you can. It's situated right on the coast in the shadow of Table Mountain. The nature is stunning. You don't get anything quite like it in terms of natural beauty in any other city. And if you ask my parents, they would agree. Um, but they'd be really quick to follow up with the fact that they've loved staying in the UK and they consider it their home. But even after 25 years of living here, there is one thing that my dad in particular still can't get used to, and that's the weather. In Cape Town, the seasons are reversed, so they're in the Southern Hemisphere, so when it's our winter, it's their summer. Um, and that can be particularly tough when it's really cold here and it's really hot there and your cousins are talking about going to the beach and going swimming while you're um, wrapped up in three layers be uh, beside a fire. But even when it's winter, the weather is much more mild. Um, it's about 12 degrees uh, when at its coldest, which for our winters is considerably warmer. But the one thing my dad cannot cope with, he can cope with all of that, but he struggles with the cold summers. In Cape Town, the summer months are consistently hot between 25 and 30 degrees. I don't think I need to tell you guys that consistent is not the word that I would use to describe the British weather. This month alone, hasn't it? It's been like 20 degrees one week, raining and cold the next. It can't make up its mind. And my dad longs to be anywhere else than the UK when it's that, because he needs something that's hot. He doesn't miss home that much, but he really misses it in the summer. We've been spending the last month looking at the Psalms, prayers that David made to God that came from a deep desire down in the heart. But what does my story about my dad and his hatred for British weather have to do with that? Well, David is also in an unfamiliar land. He is in the middle of a desert, in a dangerous situation. It says at the start that this psalm was written while David was in the desert of Judah. Now, there's two possibilities about when David was there. 
And the first was when he was running from his life from Saul. He wanted to stop him from becoming king. And the second was when he was running from his son, Absalom, who also wanted to overthrow him so he could become king. We're not sure which one it is, but in both of these situations, David is fleeing for his life. Both involve real danger and real fear in a harsh environment. What would we expect this psalm to sound like? Maybe something similar to earlier that we heard about a cry for help, asking God to save him from this situation. And we do get that. But what we get is something far more unexpected as well. Because where we possibly expect David to cry out for saving, what we get is David cries out for God. Not for God to save him, although he does do that, but cries out for God to be near to him. To know him. David is longing for God. As we look at this psalm together, we will see some things about it, what it looks like for us to pray out of our situations in a way that David does, longing to be near to God, out of longing for situations to change when we are at our most desperate. And we'll have a look at how David does that and think about how we ourselves can do it too. So the first thing we see is David searches for God. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the desert before. I've never been. I've been told it gets quite hot. Um, but I, if you think of a desert stereotypically, you probably think of a camel. Now camels are designed for the desert. They are specialized for all the horrible conditions that a desert brings. And particularly their humps are the best bit because they, uh, contrary to popular belief, don't store up water, but store up fat and energy so that if they were to spend long periods of time without coming across any water or food, they can survive for weeks and even months. But David is not a camel. Imagine what it would be like fleeing for your life in the desert. By day blisteringly hot, the sun beating down on you, no shelter for miles. At night, freezing cold. He's probably not getting much rest, particularly if he's fleeing for his life. He's likely not to be sleeping well. He might even be traveling at night and sleeping in the day, the worst of both worlds. Imagine, always hungry, always thirsty, never rested. David must be feeling broken. Don't know about you, but if I was David, I think I'd probably cry out to God, uh, cry out for him for some help, an oasis maybe, a comfortable bed, a good night's sleep, for my enemies maybe to stop pursuing me just for some shelter, just for some time to relax. But that's not what we see. <coughs> the first thing we see that David says to God, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. In the midst of being in the middle of the, of the desert, David cries out for God himself. It's not the food or water that David longs for, but it is knowing God. That's not to say that David doesn't need these things. Do you see how it's described the land, a dry and parched land where there is no water? He desperately needs these things. But yet, when it comes down to it, what he seeks out is not uh, the water or respite from the land, but it is God. That is the one thing that he longs for. He thirsts for God. His body longs for God. 
It's not about the comfort, but it's about God. Why does David cry out for these things? Surely it'd be more practical to cry out for, um, uh, sorry, surely it'd be more practical to cry out for water or food or something else he needs. But David has grasped something core about God. He needs God in this situation more than he's ever needed God in his life. Nothing can satisfy him here in the desert except for God. That is the one thing he longs for because when he was previously in Jerusalem, he would visit God daily. And here he feels far from God. He is desperately searching for what he thinks he truly needs and what he knows he does. But why does he search for God? It's because of what he's experienced with God in this temple that he knows why God is so good. Verse 2, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. David has seen God in a way that is real. David, the temple is where God would dwell with his people um, and they would go there daily to, to give sacrifices to him. And the temple uh, was in a hut like this but the hut inside was extravagant. There were statues, there was cloth, and the temple in Jerusalem was even greater. The whole reason it looks so majestic inside and yet so um, unassuming outside is because God dwelt inside the temple. It was where the people could go and meet him. And so the inner workings of the temple that were majestic were there to say something of the majestic and glorious God who dwelt there. And David would regularly spend time in the temple. He would know what it looks like to go in and see the cloth, to see the beauty, and to dwell with God. While in the desert, he cannot do this. And so while he remembers what God is like, he longs to draw close. And as he remembers this memory, he shares with why he so deeply longs for God. In verse 3, because your love is better than life. The love of God for David is better than life himself. That's something quite bold to say. To say it while you're in the desert, fleeing for your life. Death is on the line. But even saying it then is incredible. David is searching for God because of something he knows to be true about God. David is crying and searching for God because he knows that that is all he needs. What does that teach us about uh, how we long for God? For us to long for God, we need to know and remember God's glory and goodness, where God has been faithful in the past. David can draw on those memories of when he would dwell in the temple. For us to seek God and want to long for him in the same way is to see how God has been faithful in our lives. Here's an example in my life. Last year, I was finishing up with a program that I did called Relay. Um, which is a discipleship training program with the Christian unions at university. As I was coming to the end of my time there, I was having to find another job and had absolutely no clue what was, what, uh, where God wanted me, what I should be doing. In that situation, for me, it was incredibly stressful. I wanted to know where God wanted me. I wanted to know what I should be doing. And it was hard in that situation to pray and trust God. Yet, as I thought about how God had been faithful in my life, faithful in coming to university, coming to Liverpool, providing for me and all of those things, it made it easier to trust him with this decision that felt much bigger 
than the previous decisions. I know that God is faithful then, and now when I go through difficult things, I can draw back on what God has been faithful to me in the past, and that can help me to trust him and long for him in the future. And that will be true of everyone here. There will be moments where God has been faithful in your life. It will be unique for each one of us. It might be big, grand moments, or it might be small things. But it's all of those moments that help us to long for God. So when things are difficult, draw upon the memories and search for God. The second thing we, know, we see from David here is that he knows something about God's character. God's character. The end of verse 3 signifies a shift away from longing and memory into present and future. It starts off in verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Having remembered what God is like and how he's been faithful, and he longs for him, David commits himself now to praise God. And this isn't just praise that is brief and momentary, but is praise that lasts a lifetime. It will continue past this situation into the future. What it's like to have an abundance and closeness to God, and in the, uh, sorry, he will continue this into the future from the point where he had an abundance of closeness to God. Now to his lowest moments, he will continue to praise God in all circumstances. Why does he praise God? Because he knows that God satisfies him. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. While singing lips, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David is still in the desert. He's not left. And yet, having been in the desert and dwelt there, and searched for God, and remembered God, now when he knows about God, that God satisfies more than anything else, while he's in the desert, God can satisfy even his deepest longings. This is all because of what he previously knew and experienced. He experienced God be faithful to him. He experienced God's power. And so even more than just the valuable memories, God, uh, David knows that only God truly satisfies and praises him for that. And what does it look like to find true satisfaction in God? That is where David continues into verse 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Think about what it's like to be living in the desert with your enemies chasing you. Constantly aware that you might be attacked at any second. You have to always be prepared. Imagine trying to sleep through that. Even the smallest sound will sound like an enemy crouching outside your tent. On top of this, the difficulties and anxieties of where your food is coming from, where you're going to sleep the next night. Often my mind thinks about the anxieties of the next day without all the worries of where I'm going to sleep. Yet it is in that situation where he's lying on his bed that he remembers God. Rather than worrying about whether he will make it through the nights or not, David thinks and remembers God, remembers his power, remembers his glory, remembers that his love is better than life. And that continues into verses 7 and 8. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. 
sorry. I don't know if you've ever seen birds and the way they look after their young. There's a photo on the screen. Um, birds will shelter their young in their wings to gather them close to them and protect them. David is comparing the way that God cares for him, even while he is far away from the temple where God dwells. God still gathers him close to him. God cares for David, even in this, de uh, in this desert situation. The image of God caring for those he loves, as if a bird drawing near its young is holding us close, is beautiful, and shows us just how much God cares for us. And verse 8, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Not only does God protect David, David knows that the relationship with God is a two-way thing. David clings to God, but his right hand upholds him. Don't know if you've ever crossed a, 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 a wobbly bridge. Um, I've had to cross one once or twice. Um, I'm not so good with heights. Looking over the edge into a ravine below makes my legs shake, makes me cling to the side of a bridge even more tightly. David is clinging to God in this moment of deep uncertainty. But God is never far from David. David knows that even God, though God dwells in the temple, God is with him, even as David clings tightly to God now. So these are three ways that David knows something true about God and how that helps him to long for God. So what about us? For us, it's to draw with prayer nearer to God in difficult circumstances and remember his promises. If we long for God, we'll want to praise him and we'll long for God if we know that he is truly, if we know these truths to be truly too. Often I think that God is out there, but that my situation needs my sorting. The job last year, that was me. I had to sort that. I wouldn't cling tightly to God because I didn't trust that he was truly there lifting me up through the whole situation. And so instead of going to God, I would look at it in myself and my control. Instead of going to God, in those anxious moments, job hunting, I would look to satisfy my desires somewhere else. Because I did not know that these things to be true. I did not know that God cared for me. I did not know... Um, Oh, I did not trust that God cared for me, sorry. I did not trust that God cared for me. Um, I did not trust that he was there holding me up. Yet, when we look at it in this way, in our personal circumstances, whatever they may be, God is with us, holding us up, drawing us near, being with us even in the watches of the night. Nothing else can truly satisfy us in life, no matter how hard we search for it or wanted to, like God does. And the best part about this is that even though David was far from the temple, um, his closeness and the truth about God didn't change. So God will truly satisfy us, and knowing that truth helps us to long for him and deeper communion with him. But what do we see right at the end? Well, we see finally 
that David, uh, that God is better. We see at the end that David is realistic about his situation. He knows that he is on the run. He knows that he is far from the place where he wants to be. But he does not pretend that by calling out to God, it will all magically get better. But it does allow him to have some good perspective on the situation. Verse 9. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. David knows that those who want to kill him are not doing it for good reasons. Occasionally in the Old Testament, God would send people to nations or armies to judge Israel and their kings if they had turned and rebelled against God. Yet this is not the case. Saul is chasing David because Saul is trying to consolidate power as a king. Absalom is chasing David because he wants to take the glory for himself. Both of these people are seeking their own power and their own glory, not God's. And David knows that God will eventually destroy these people. He does not allow this injustice of people who seek after themselves to go unpunished. David doesn't know that that means that he will survive. He might perish at their hands. But he knows that even if he was to, God would judge these people and they would get the justice that he deserves. He can only see this because he knows that God is truly good. But he longs for this justice. He says that they will be destroyed by the sword and become food for jackals. Both of these deaths, violent and brutal, eaten up, not being able to be remembered because they will be devoured. It is not a nice way to go. It is brutal and degrading. David reminds us here that the enemies of God, uh, enemies of David are ultimately enemies of God and that they will one day get that justice. They will be given over to a violent death. They will not be remembered. Because God is a just judge. But David doesn't stop there. Because he knows that while the true enemies of God who seek his life will be destroyed, he also knows what is true of those who trust and glorify in God. Verse 11. The king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. The king, uh, he knows that God will not leave him in this situation. He knows that God, there is something greater that God has promised, and that is glory with God himself. He won't be in the desert weary, um, he won't be weary in the desert any longer. One day he will be with God, dwelling with him again, knowing that he can praise him, whether that be in the temple or whether that be in the life to come. It will be glorious all who swear by God will glory in him. Even though people seek his life, he trusts in God because he knows that one day this glorious day will come and he longs for that. In fact, he longs for it so much that he says even the mouths of liars will be silenced. Those who say God is not really worth it, that it's not worth following God. Those voices that say that actually God doesn't satisfy the other things around us do, they are liars. They will be silenced. It is only God that truly satisfies, only God that gives us the glory. And we should look forward to that day. So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, this serves as a warning. Let's not forget 
that those who oppose God will be brutally destroyed. If you oppose God here today, if you don't trust in him, this is a stark warning for you. And it's a stark warning for all of us because often we will not trust and seek God, but we will go after the things of the world. You might be here today and wondering, uh, chasing after something. You might be trying to find satisfaction in people, in work. If that is you, you can still come near to God and draw near to him. Seek him out, cry out to him, and he will answer and hear your cries. But for those of us who are already Christians, who draw near to God, we should remember that rejoicing in God is what we are called to do. We will often face the lies of this world that God is not good, God don't truly satisfy us. Yet we should remember what they say is not true. We should focus on God as we see God's characters more, as we remember him and his glorious goodness. And we should also remember that our glory is confirmed because the glory that David looked forward to is complete in us and ready. Jesus came and died for us and rejoined our relationship with God. David only had the promises of that one day happening. We can look back and see the ultimate day where we were one day where we were restored with God, and we can look forward to the future where we will glory with Him. We all have difficult circumstances, but actually, what it looks like is to find satisfaction in God and not in our circumstances around us. Longing for God is drawing near to Him even when it's difficult. Longing for God is knowing that he will truly satisfy us over all other things. My dad longs to return to South Africa at times. But actually, he would say that he values his life so much more here. Not because of the weather, not because of family, but because he became a Christian here in 2004. The church family that Jesus found, the church family that points him to Jesus each and every day, the satisfaction that he finds in God trumps all the longing that he has to return one day to his home country. So let us, as we leave today, remember God and long for him.